Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. All right, all right. I don't think you guys sound very excited about Jesus and the Word of God tonight. Are you excited about the Word of God tonight? Praise God. Well, we're going to journey through tonight the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, I brought old school. I went old school. I brought the, I brought the, 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 the written Word of God. But if you have the electronic written word of God on your cell phone, if you've got your iPad, if you've got your iPod, I want you to pull that out as well. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you that if you have the ability to text, to tweet, or to send a Facebook message, there are going to be some highlighted points tonight that I want to encourage you to go ahead and send that out to somebody that you think needs the word of God tonight. Amen? This weekend, what we are talking about is pursuing your purpose in Jesus Christ. The pursuit of purpose. As a matter of fact, I've entitled this weekend, The Passionate Pursuit of Purpose. Tonight's message is entitled, Pursuing Your Purpose While Facing a Giant. How many of you know you've got giants in your life tonight? I know I do. But before we get started and before we answer that phone call, what I want to do is invite you to talk to the one who we want to be the one to speak to us tonight. Is that okay? We want to talk to Jesus. And so I want to invite you right now just to bow your heads with me as we get ready to talk to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for the privilege to stand here before this generation of youth and young adults. And I see some people here that are still young at heart. And I thank you so much for this community, this family. And I pray, Lord, that you'll show up tonight, that you'll be the one to speak to us tonight, do something within our hearts, revolutionize our lives, radically change us, because that's what you do best by the power of your grace in the cross. We ask you right now that you be the one to show up and speak to us and speak to the speaker as well as we get into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you remember when you first got your first car? Your first car, okay? Now, some of you haven't gotten that first car yet. How many of you are already dreaming about when you're going to get your first car? All right, I see some honest people over here. All right. I remember when I got my first car. Now, you may not remember this particular car. Thank you, bud. All right, Nick. Now, I don't know if you guys remember this car. It's called Saturn. You remember Saturn? You remember Saturn? That was my first car. Now, you, I grew up in the 80s, so... When the Saturn came out, the Saturn was my dream car. Is that sad or what? I wasn't thinking Lamborghini. I was keeping my, <laughs> I was keeping my expectations low. My dream car at the time was a four-door sedan Saturn, and I got one when I graduated from high school. And so the thing that I looked forward to the most is that I didn't have to depend on mom, I didn't have to depend on dad to go where I wanted to go, right? 
you thought about freedom when, uh, before you got the, the, the gas prices went up, and then you realized you weren't that free, right? But, but I remember when I got my first car, and I, I, I was thinking, I can go anywhere I want to go at any time I want to go. And so I remember one time, one evening, I decided to go to the nearest Walmart. I was just going to buy a few things. And if you're like me when you go shopping, you don't want to window shop, you don't want to browse, you want to go in, get what you need quickly, kill it, drag it home, hang it up and frame it. You know, that was, that was me. And so I went to the nearest Walmart. It was one of those super Walmarts. Now, you know when you go into the super Walmarts, there's like 20, 30 odd cash registers going as far as you can see it. I go in, I quickly get what I need. It was just a few items. And then I go to scope out which one had the least amount of people in it, you know how we do, so that we can quickly get out. As I'm looking at all of the different cash registers that were lined up, I noticed that there was one particular book being sold in abundance. Every register had this book being sold in abundance. You know what I'm talking about? You go to Walmart and you see them put books and so forth on display next to the magazines and all that. So I go, and when I get to the register that had the least amount of people in it, I pick up the book and I go, oh, what in the world is this? I look off to my right, and I see that same book on display, a huge display of this book, and I go, what in the world is this book all about? I pick the book up, I look at the title of the book, and the first thing I see is New York Times International Best Seller. So it's a serious book. And it said over 10 million copies sold. And I said, okay, okay. I look at the title of the book. I read the title of the book, and then I go, okay, this is gonna be one of those, this is gonna be one of those self-help books that are gonna solve all my life problems in five or four easy steps. You know what I'm talking about? And so I'm a little skeptical, but I open up the book, and then I look at the first chapter and the title of the first chapter of the book. And it says, and this is when my skepticism began to quickly be dashed, I looked at the title and it said, it all begins with God. It all begins with God. And I go and I look down and I see the first sentence of the first chapter of the book. And it says, it's not about you. Some of you probably know where I'm going already. It's not about you. And so I'm, I'm curious now and I'm flipping through the book. I'm, I'm flapping through the pages and then, did I just say flapping through the pages? Yeah, I'm, fla I'm flipping through the pages. And then immediately, my curious reading is interrupted by the cashier. He goes, ah, ah sir, are you going to pay for that, sir? And I go, uh, <clears throat> no, 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 no. I put, it, I put it back, and then I check out my things. But over the next few months, everybody's talking about this book, and, and I'm beginning to think, man, I should have picked, picked up this book. The radio, the television, everybody's talking about this book. This was 2004. By December of 2004, my parents went, and they picked up the book for me. By 2006, it sold over 30 million copies, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Now, whether you've read the book, whether you know who the author is, whether you like the book, whether you don't like the book, obviously, by the time it hit 2006, it sold over 30 million copies. Obviously, people want to know what on earth is their purpose in life. What on earth am I here for, as the subtitle of the book says? This is the question a lot of people are asking. Why am I here? Maybe you're in school, maybe you're in middle school, maybe you're in high school or you're in college and you're trying to figure out what your major is and that's the question that's often running in the back of your head. What am I here for? What trajectory should I go? What direction should I go in life? What should be my life's purpose and calling? What should be my career? These are some of the questions that we like to ask, right? Okay, 
Now, thinking about this same question, an author named David C. Jones, he writes this. He says this. I've got my little iPhone here. He says this. He says, the short answer, listen to this, the short answer of the question of the goal of human life is God. Okay, I know that sounds a little cliche to some of you, so I'm just going to continue here, but just bear with me for a second. The goal of the human life is God, his glory, his image, his kingdom, to enjoy him forever. The problem is nobody naturally seeks this end. All seek happiness, but nobody seeks God. Thank you. Nobody naturally seeks after God. If there's anybody in the scriptures, thank you, Rhonda. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Nobody naturally seeks God, but if there's anybody in scripture that had a sense of what their purpose was in life, they had a sense of the trajectory that they needed to go, it was the young man that we're about to examine tonight. You have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 17. This young man, starting in about verse 15, this young man, this young man is on his way down to the valley of Eliah, the valley of Eliah. Now, if you understand what the valley of Eliah is, at this time in the Bible and its history, King Saul is the king, okay? King Saul is the king, and I want you to get this in your mind's eye. In the valley of Eliah, on this side of the valley, is lined up in battle array, the children of Israel, the armies of Israel, and on this side of the valley of Eli, uh, Eliah is the Philistines. That was like their arch enemies, okay? And so David is on his way to the battlefield because he's got some brothers and he's got some things in his, in his hand. He's bringing some gifts. He's bringing some food. He's bringing some stuff for his brothers from his father, Jesse. Now, you've got to understand as David is going down to this battlefield, David is also an accomplished singer and songwriter. David is a musician. David is a poet. David, the Bible says, is handsome, young ladies. David, David is a warrior, the Bible says. And David is on his way down to the valley of Eliah, and he's singing his latest composition, the 23rd Psalm. He's singing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he's praising God because David has a relationship with God that we'll find in the story is unlike anybody else's in this chapter. David has a relationship with God that by, for all better sense of a word, it's contagious. As a matter of fact, he had such a relationship with God that when God sent the prophet Samuel to go select the next king of Israel, okay, Samuel went to get his anointing oil. The moment he saw Eliab, which we're going to find out in a few seconds, is David's eldest brother. The moment he saw the stature of Eliab, when he walked through the door, Samuel said, listen, God, I'm about to go and anoint this guy right now. And God said, no. God understood the context of his heart. As a matter of fact, the pen of inspiration says that if he had been chosen to be the next king of Israel, Israel would have been in shambles because he had pride. And even though he looked the part on the outside, he didn't have the heart like David did. David was out with the sheep, tending the sheep. God was preparing him to tend the nation. David wasn't even brought in by his father. So there's interesting family dynamics going on in this story. David wasn't even brought in by his father to be selected king. So you understand that David now is just a humble shepherd that nobody cares about when God finds him. He's the one that God said is a man after my own heart. 
He had a heart for God. You may look at that and say, well, that means that he had a heart like God. But I like to suggest that he actually had a heart that was chasing after God. He had a heart that was chasing after God. He was pursuing God. It wasn't just about pursuing his purpose. He wanted God. He finally gets down to the Valley of Eli, and when he gets there, he sees instead of a, a host of valiant warriors, what he sees is what looks like scared little children. And he's trying to figure out, this is the army of the living God. Why are they looking like scared little girls? He goes and he says hello to the guy at the gate. He leaves the items with the guy at the gate. He goes to see his brothers. And when he sees his brothers, he begins to say some things. And then once he gets there, he hears off in the distance this deep baritone voice they call him Goliath of Gath. He's a champion in the Philistine army and he's making his way. He's the, 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 the camp of the army of, uh, of the Philistines are parting their way like the Red Sea. They're parting as Goliath makes his way down the valley and he's challenging for the 40th day in a row the armies of Israel and their God. David can't stand to see the armies of God looking like cowardly little lions, looking like little sheep, looking like little children, not knowing which way to go, not knowing what to do in the face of this challenge. We pick up the story in verse 26. We pick up the story in verse 26. The Bible says, and David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. In other words, who does this man think he is? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now, I want you to pay close attention to verse 28. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know the pride of your heart and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down here to see the battle. You've come down here to see the action, David. Now listen to verse 28 as David responds. David said, what have I done now? Is there not a what? A cause. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Another synonym for cause is purpose. Is there not a purpose, David was saying. And here in this text, you're seeing that David doesn't just have a sense of his own purpose. He knows he was just anointed by God. David is a young person like many of you. He was probably just a teenager. And David has gifts, he has talents, he's musically talented, he can write. He can fight. David is a talented young man anointed by God. He understands his purpose in Christ. But based on the implications of the text, David also has a sense of the purpose of the entire nation of Israel. And he can't understand why in the face of this challenge, uh, the face of this giant, are we not stepping up because we have a giant God. David understood his purpose. And I want to suggest to you out of this text, the first giant or obstacle that David faced before he ever faced Goliath is that he had to pursue his purpose in spite of his haters. David had to pursue his purpose in spite of his haters. You know what haters are, right? 
You know who the haters are. These are the, these are the people who are speaking negativity into your life when they should be speaking positivity into your life. They're speaking discouragement into your life when they should be speaking encouragement into your life. They're speaking doubt when they should be speaking faith. They don't have anything good to say about you when you stand up and you say, I'm going to stand up for Jesus Christ like Denzel's going to do. They don't have anything good to say when you say, I'm going to stand up and take this giant, this obstacle in the name of Jesus Christ. I remember back when I was in high school, I went to go see my advisor because I wanted to talk about which college I wanted to go to. And so I remember when I went to go see her, the very first thing she said to me before even looking at my records, the very first thing she said to me, Derek, is she said, don't even think about college. Don't even think about a university. As a matter of fact, the best thing that you could possibly do is do a community college, but I think you should do a trade school. That was the first thing she said to me. She didn't look at anything, she just saw me and she, bam, that's it. I was taken aback, you know, I, I said to myself, I said to myself, I don't think I'm necessarily the smartest person in the world, you know, but at the same time I've been looking at my grades and I don't think I'm necessarily the least intelligent person in the world. And I know that my father, I don't think my father actually finished middle school. He just went on and he continued and he was a photographer and so forth and he wanted to do that. And so I said, listen, if it's not at least for me, I want to do it for my dad. I'm going to college. And I'm thankful to God tonight that I didn't listen to that lie, young people, listen to me. I'm so thankful because today, by God's grace, I'm working on my second graduate degree. Amen. To God be the glory. Amen. You've got to pursue your purpose in spite of the haters. There are people in your life that are just like Iliab. And you've got to ask yourself the question, what is it about Iliab? Why is Iliab so negative towards David? Back up with me in, in, in chapter 16. You've got to understand that Iliab was the eldest son. Now, we hear that and we let that just gloss right over our heads. But in the culture of the time, when you were the eldest son, you were, the, you were to inherit, okay, everything that the father had, okay? You were the person in charge if dad was taken out for some reason. You were next in line. As a matter of fact, you can imagine what happened in the heart of Eliab when the prophet Samuel, you see, we're saying Samuel today, we're so accustomed to say that name if you read the scriptures, but when you said Samuel in the time of, of the judges, Samuel was the last judge, and he was also a prophet before the kings, the, the era of the kings started. So when Samuel said he was coming to town, it was like saying Barack Obama is coming to town. And Eliab is, oh, he wants to see the sons of Jesse. Mm -hmm. Eliab's going, all right, I'm going to get my best suit now. He wants to see the sons of Jesse, and Eliab got passed up. He saw that Samuel wanted to anoint him. Okay? But God said no. Eliab realizes, just like the rest of the brothers of David, realize that they're not going to have a chance at being the next king of Israel. So what do they do? They say, all right, we're going to go ahead and serve the current king of Israel. They go and they join the military. So what David has done right now, he's been anointed, by the way, when he was anointed by the prophet Samuel, he's anointed in front of his brothers, in their very presence. So when David comes to the camp of Israel. Eliab is saying, well, what is this pipsqueak? Who does he think he is? How many of you got younger siblings? Come on. When David comes, when David comes to the camp, okay, Eliab is saying, wait a minute, this is my turf. 
I understand you got anointed and all that. That's really nice, David. Okay, but I'm serving the actual king right now, and he's got an army, and I'm in it. And so who do you think you are coming out to my turf talking about you're going to take out the giant? Now, I understand you, you, you took care of a bear and a, and a lion. That's really cute with your little sheep. But listen, this is the real deal. Who do you think you are? David doesn't really care. David continues to talk about this thing. And the word is getting around the entire camp of, of Israel. And it gets all the way to the king himself, which is very interesting. Which is very interesting. I want to suggest to you tonight. I don't care what anybody said to you, young men. I don't care what anybody has said to you, young lady. I don't care what anybody has said to you that has spoken negativity into your life. They may have told you you'll never make it, you'll never amount to anything, you're never really going to be serious about God, you're just playing around. Listen, you've got to know what God says about you in his word. God calls you, young people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, your royalty, your identity, as the Bible says, is hid in Christ, the God of the universe. David had a sense of his purpose. And then this now gets all the way to the ears of the King Saul. Saul, by the way, the Bible says, is headed shoulders above everybody else in Israel. For lack of a better term, Saul is the giant of Israel. He's not trying to step up to this giant. Go with me to verse 38. Because Saul, when he finally brings David into his court, he tries to discourage David from going through with this. He says, David, you're crazy. There's no way you're going to be able to take out this giant. This guy has been a warrior, a fighter from his youth. You're but a youth. But finally, he reluctantly says, all right, you're going to do this? All right. Go ahead and the Lord be with you. And then in verse 38, the Bible says, how many of you got your word? The Bible says, so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail and David fastened his sword, that's Saul's sword, to his armor and tried to walk. <laughs> For he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. The next thing I want to suggest to you tonight is that if you're going to pursue your purpose in Jesus Christ, you've got to pursue your purpose in your own armor. You've got to pursue your purpose in your own armor. God has wired you. He has designed you. He's created you uniquely for a specific purpose, a specific task. You're the way you are for a reason. I remember back when I was in eighth grade. How many do I have in middle school tonight? All right, all right, anybody in eighth grade? Anybody in eighth grade? No? In eighth grade, there was a brand new middle school, not too far from here, and we were the first graduating class of that middle school. We transferred to that middle school, so we were eighth graders. We thought we ran the school, okay? We knew everything in the world, and nobody was gonna tell us anything different, okay? And so, the guys that I was hanging out with, now you gotta understand, this was at the, this was at the rise of the hip-hop culture, Okay? And so we were trying to do the thug life. You understand what I'm talking about? And, uh, we, you know, they were going all the way here with like about three or four different pairs of boxers, you know, going all the way down here. I couldn't quite understand it. Still don't. And uh, they were going hardcore with it. I was just kind of semi-thugging. Kind of had my pants kind of halfway about there. But I was hanging out with them. Now, you got to understand that about a year before this, I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was 12 years old. I got baptized. So here I am, a babe in Jesus Christ. Yes, I was raised in the church, but you got to understand, until you stand up for yourself, your parents' faith cannot save you. And so I decided, I decided that, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but the push of the culture just seems so strong. 
the music just seemed so influential. And so, you know, I had, I, I had the challenge of my identity. I, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm, I'm a new babe in Christ. Things were going on in my house. My parents had just gotten divorced. And, and so I've got things going on in my home. I'm going through, this is now, this is like I'm what now, 13? So I'm going through puberty and all this kind of stuff is going on, okay? And so you've got your peer group and you've got those that are trying to do the thug life thing. And so I'm rolling with them. I'm hanging with them. And uh, these are some of the guys that would always be sent to the administrative office. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, cops would be brought in every now and then, okay? And, uh, and, and so I'm hanging with these guys, but they, they're like, you know, CJ, you're hanging with us, that's cool, but, but there's just something different about you, CJ. There's something different about you. I mean, you can hang with us, you know, we're kind of all the way thugging hardcore, but you're not quite doing it like us, man. So I knew it was the anointing of God. Listen to what I'm saying, young people. I knew it was the anointing of God, but they say, you know, CJ, we have a word for you. We're gonna call you something. You're the intellectual thug. That's who you are. You're the intellectual thug. You're that guy, you know, you're hanging with us, but you're not quite thugging hardcore like us. So you're, you're the intellectual thug. Do you understand what I'm saying? The direction of their life was going this way, and God was pulling me this way. Identity crisis, trying to wear their armor. When God had given me a whole different armor. I want to suggest to you today that when David was trying on the armor of Saul, David had to realize that that wasn't the armor that God had wired him to fight this giant with. It's kind of interesting when you look at this story because you wonder, why did Saul want him to wear his armor? Ever wondered that? What was the motivation there? I want to suggest to you this. If David had the gumption to go out there with his armor, if he actually went out with his armor, okay? If he went out with his armor, the rest of the army of Israel, whose morale was down here, you understand? They see the armor of who? Saul, going to fight the giant. They're going to say, oh, wait a minute, listen, even if he gets killed, okay? The army is seeing their king step up to the, to the giant. So David goes out there with the armor of Saul. If by some chance, God forbid, he should get slain, at least the army would say, listen, Saul stood up. Seriously, he stood up, okay? Or you could look at it this way. If David actually, by some fluke of nature, some freak accident, somehow he actually kills this giant, Saul could say, well, you know, <laughs> he was wearing my armor. I mean, that was my sword that cut off the head, yeah? You wonder about the motivation of Saul when he puts this on David. Saul should have been the one to go and step to the giant, but David is showing up Saul, so Saul says, all right, well, I'm going to get some credit somehow by sending him out. I'm not going to deter him, so I'm going to just send him out anyway. Well, it's really interesting what happens next, because as you, some of you may know the story, David picks up five smooth stones, he goes, he steps to the giant, and when he gets to the giant, the giant has some words for him. That weren't so kosher if you were to translate it in the 21st century, but in essence, it went something like this. Who do you think you are? You're a little pipsqueak. You're wet behind the ears. I'm gonna take you out. I'm gonna take all your men out. The, the beasts of the field are gonna kill you, and then the birds are gonna come and eat up your carcass. Let's go, bring it on. But David has some words for the giant in verse 45, as we bring this thing to a close tonight. In verse 45, the Bible says, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Do you see where the heart of David is? 
He's thinking about the character of God in the face of this giant. You've defied the living God. It goes on to say in verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Then the Bible says in verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and men uh, and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took a stone and slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on the face of the earth. I love what the Bible says. It says he ran towards the Philistine. There was boldness in David. But I want to suggest something to you about David right here. And this is the third giant that David faced before he ever met the giant. When David went to go see the giant, he had to face the giant. Go on to the next slide. He had to face the giant. He had to pursue his purpose and face the giant with bold confidence in God's outcome. I want to suggest to you that David didn't have a plan A, B, C, D or E when he picked up those five smooth stones. When you study the life of David, you'll discover that Goliath actually had a brother and he had three sons. So when David picked up five smooth stones at the brook, he was coming to take all of them out. David wasn't messing around. David had one plan and one plan only, and that was God's plan. This giant's coming down because he understood that, that God had anointed him to be king. You understand what I'm saying? If God anointed me to be king, and there's a current king in Israel, therefore I'm going to be king, that's my purpose, then this, this giant is just an obstacle in the way of me pursuing my purpose. And the giant's going down. He picks up five smooth stones, you read the story, and you discover that David had to trust in God's outcome because he couldn't do it in his own strength. I want to suggest to you today that if you're going to pursue your purpose in God, you can't go in your own armor, but you also can't go in your own strength. You have to go in the strength of God. You have to trust in his outcome. Sometimes we like to do things because we've got it well planned out. We know what the career path is going to be. We know what the outcome of this particular project is going to be, and you pursue it because you feel like you have the ability to do it. David himself would not have defeated Goliath. David had to trust that God himself was going to show up and give him the expected end. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. God wants to do amazing things in your life, but he needs you to trust him for his outcome. 14,000 years later, Jesus himself, the son of David, faces the greatest giant he has ever faced in his earthly experience. The giant that Jesus faced was the collective sins of you and me. And as he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he faced the giant in spite of his haters. People told him not to go through with it. His own disciple, Peter, pulled him aside and said, well, what do you think you're talking about? You're going to die. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. He fixed his eyes on the purpose. We're going to talk a little bit more about this tomorrow morning. He fixed his eyes on the purpose, and his purpose was your salvation and mine. 
He wanted to reveal the love of God to the world. And the greatest way he can do this was first, he had to reconcile us to God. And the cross was the greatest, the most brilliant revelation of the love of God that was ever expressed on the earth. Jesus had to stand up on that cross as people in the crowd, as Pharisees, as the thief that was to his left said, come down from that cross. Save yourself and save us also. And Jesus had to do it in his own strength, in the strength of his Father. And Jesus had to trust in the Father's outcome. He said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then he could say victoriously in faith, it is finished. Mission accomplished. Purpose fulfilled. Three days later, he gets up victorious from the grave. And now our salvation is secured because of Jesus. And now what he's telling you to do, we'll talk a little bit more about this tomorrow, is I need you to now go tell everybody else that I fulfilled my purpose. And now I need you to go and fulfill it for me. Now I need you to tell the world that I've come and I've died and I've secured their salvation, but they need to accept me and I'm not going to force it on them. I'm going to entrust that with you. I'm going to fill you with my spirit, and I need this message to get to the entire world. This is your purpose. You have unique gifts and talents. You've got unique personalities. And God has designed you specifically the way you are, because there's only certain people that are going to listen to you. They're going to see your gifts and talents, and they'll be drawn to Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you right now, if you want to make the decision tonight to pursue your purpose, in spite of the giants that will arise in your life. Giants will arise, but they're only an obstacle to you fulfilling your purpose. In the power of God, you will accomplish your purpose. You will overcome the obstacles, but you have to trust in God's outcome. If that's you, I wanna invite you right now just to stand with me as I make that commitment tonight to pursue my purpose while facing a giant. I want to invite you right now just to hold the person's hand next to you, if you don't mind. I see some of the guys looking at me. But I want you to hold the hand of the person next to you, if you will. And I want you to bow your heads, because I want this to be a personal thing tonight between you and God. And as I pray, I'm going to give you just a few seconds to pause so that you can make that commitment to Jesus Christ in your heart. But I want you right now to bow your heads with me as we talk to God. Jesus we thank you so much, Lord, that you brought us all the way through this year in Ignite Youth Church here at Plantation. I thank you so much for what you're doing with this generation of young people at this church. You've given us a wonderful message. You've given us a wonderful movement. And there's something that you want to do right here at Plantation with these young people. And it starts tonight. As a matter of fact, it's already started. But Father, right now you want to intersect in our lives. And so I invite you right now, Lord, they're going to talk to you. They're standing up because they're saying they want to commit their lives to fulfilling the purpose that you have designed for their lives. And so right now, Father, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask, Lord, that you listen to their prayers in their hearts right now. They know what it is that's blocking them from pursuing their purpose in you. They know, Lord, whatever, whether it's sin, whether it's pride, they know what it is right now. Disobedience to parents, not listening to authority, images that they're viewing things that they're listening to. They know what it is, Father. They know what's blocking them. They know what that giant is, and they want to see that giant come down tonight. And so, Father, right now, I'm going to invite them to speak to you just for a few seconds.
God, we thank you so much for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. It's not something that we can muster. Father, the purpose, Lord, that you have for us is to reveal the love of God as shown in the life ministry of Jesus Christ with our friends, at our schools, on the job. Let it start tonight. Ignite us, Father, in this youth church, in this community of faith. We thank you. We bless you. And we thank you for what you're doing in the life of Denzel. May this, may his experience ignite all the young people, Father, wherever he is, in his school, in his city, in this church. Receive our, our prayer and our commitment tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.